0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Here's the Thread. My name is Alla Jolly. We're recording this episode on December 17th, 2021. Here's the Thread is about two immigrants who leave the thread through books, ideas, articles and political movements to talk about what it might take to stitch divided communities together to fight for common causes.
1: And today we're diving into part five of Isabel Wilkerson's book, Cast, and part five is called The Consequences of Cast. Before we go into it, though, I did want to address a few comments that I did make in two episodes prior now, episode three. And it was brought up to me that I made a statement that can be interpreted as that I was saying, you know, that. In the case of the conversation that specifically women had no free will in a sense or their own kind of like individual way of thinking and i just wanted to provide the context to that comment in that it was about um the time of slavery and kind of the fear that comes with possibly being able to go against like an oppressor and You know, like, I don't necessarily, um, I would say I don't hold the view that (laughs) would imply that I think women are not able to have their own way of thinking, but I did want to just provide that context more and also state the fact that I'm also willing to learn off of that and, you know, there's any kind of like pushback, things like that. I'm very willing to take criticism and learn from it.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, we've been meaning to address um, episode three for a little while and we're really glad that we're able to do that because that's the whole point of this podcast is that we want to um, make mistakes because that's how we learn from them. And we want to create a learning environment because we usually don't know what we're talking about, which is why I'm assuming that you're listening to this podcast talk, talk um, not talk, listen to a bunch of people talk about stuff they don't understand. But hopefully, over the episodes and over what we're learning, we are constructing an argument that makes sense to you, constructing an argument that provides a better understanding of the issues that we're tackling, because that's what we're trying to do here.
1: Okay. And going into part five of CAST now, the little overview of it, uh, a lot of the concepts that Walkerson talks about, again, just reinforces the idea of Um, the caste system being put in place and how many of the people in the quote-unquote lower castes are forced to adapt and survive based on the rules created by those in the upper caste. And she provides multiple examples in these uh, following chapters. Um, If you are keeping up with our reading, chapters 19 through 24 are the specific parts we're talking about. And we did have a few kind of topics we wanted to jump into for this uh, episode. And I don't know if uh, Miss Ala herself would like to kind of jump off on a topic.
0: Yeah, that sounds good. Um, I think one of the central points throughout the book has been understanding the insidiousness of caste as it impacts everyone in it Um, to me that's one of the more more profound parts of this book and her argument is in that caste weirdly does not discriminate in the in the consequences that it doles out to individuals in it obviously we are talking about dominant castes and um, non-dominant castes and obviously the non-dominant castes have it much harder but she, I think, is trying to make the argument that it works for no one. Like if we're if we're trying to understand who this is working for, it doesn't work for anyone. Um, and we see a case of that over and over again, but we're just caught in this loop that we think dismantling the system is somehow worse than perpetuating it when there's, you know, zero evidence for that. And I think in this, in this specific part of the book, Consequences of Caste, um, I think she really underpins that idea that the capacity to endorse, perpetuate, and tolerate this behavior is in all of us. We just happen to be, you know, by, by design of where we are in our lives to end up here.
1: Yeah, just jumping on that point as well. um, One of the things that she talks about is this form of narcissism that I think inherently some of us have some form of this, you know, where um, the way that the caste system is, is that people are placed in certain positions. And if you're at the top of the caste, you're made to feel superior. You want to feel superior. And that's why you end up basically demonizing those that you don't feel are on the same level as you. And Wilkerson actually ends up giving a very great example in this book about, again, Nazi Germany, where there was a certain point in Nazi Germany that many of the Jews were either in hiding or already in concentration camps. And because of that, there was no more... The, the group that they were looking to scapegoat for their problems weren't readily available anymore. And she ended up saying that, yeah, people started to look to their neighbors and start ranking themselves based on how Aryan they really were. And she goes on the example of uh, this girl that had thick, dark hair and how people were saying that she must have some lineage that was middle Eastern or maybe even Jewish herself. And this, this girl ends up going through a bunch of very, very like mundane tests, you know, measuring cranial size, things like that. And, you know, looking, Walterson closes that point by how, by, like using the anecdote that this uh, person's granddaughter I believe ended up looking back at the photos of her like grandparents doing that and she was like, that just shows like kind of like how how much that's been ingrained and yeah, it truly just doesn't benefit anyone because the system just cycles into itself in that once you've gotten rid of who you believe is, in the lower end of like society you start perpet- you you start creating a new level of low like you you continuously just like move the bar over and over again and yeah it just will not benefit anyone like it, it's a- obviously the ones at the lower cast are the ones who feel the pain the most immediately and they're the ones who receive a lot of the the kind of like immediate consequences of it but in the long term even the upper caste is not safe from their own system that they've built because yeah just in that example alone it was shown that it didn't matter like that you were there prior something else will come up that could possibly usurp your position
0: yeah it's kind of like a social gamble that's constantly and continuously playing out like you know and we see this in different hierarchies outside of the caste system or outside of race. Um, we see it in stuff like body image or in like beauty trends, for example. Like I sometimes like just randomly I'll Google pictures of like old photo shoots of people like Marilyn Monroe who are considered like, you know, beauty icons and, and um, people that we are supposed to strive to want to look like these women are. and like sometimes it baffles me how normal she looks compared to the sort of like airbrushed photoshopped size zero people that we see in in social media and in marketing campaigns. And it's it's this it's a similar hierarchy, not not nearly as corrosive, but it's a, it's a similar model, right? Like there's this ideal we're supposed to strive for and no one, not even the individual people that, look as close to that ideal as possible, benefit from it. You know, it reminds me of like, of um, celebrities that have like put lawsuits out to like take down pictures and then you find the picture and it's like, you look normal, you look like you're a, a healthy human being. But you know, because of the standard, they themselves can't be happy. So they're perpetuating it, they can't be happy. And I think it's the same model here where the where the question really comes down to, is this benefiting anybody? I I think the answer is categorically no.
1: And I agree with that. Like, it simply just doesn't. There, it you know, it, going back also to your gambling point, it's like that idea of like the house always wins. But in this case, like the house also shifts itself, you know, like, yeah, <laughs> the category is literally just decided by whoever's in power. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily, like, it it just so happened that historically, like, at least for the United States, the people in power are usually white, Caucasian males. So, they're the ones who are able to set that trend. And, However, like, in the event that, like, that's not the case, and there is a radical shift, I believe because if we're not actively trying to kind of... Undermine the system and destabilize it. We'll necessarily we'll, we'll just fall back into the same pitfalls with just new categories now on how we look at other people, you know. And that's not really the healthy way progressing in society. It might look like that way if, like, you know, the hypothetical is we get more people of color in office in the United States, and then all of a sudden, like you know, the idea of that racist white person gets moved lower in the cast, and they're the ones that get to kind of feel some of these consequences. But that shouldn't be what we're striving for, either, as a humanity in general. What we should be looking to do is making sure everyone is much more well-educated and are on much more equal terms, so that they won't have that competitive view of, like, this this is, better than, this is inherently better than the other, when sometimes it isn't.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think if I were to make this into a metaphysical argument, which I, I think I will right now just because it's fun and I'm a philosophy major, so um, comes with the territory, which is that I think part of this need to rely on systems like this comes from a desperate need to simplify the world and a resistance to being uncomfortable more often. Right? Like if you can just split the world into buckets and just put everything into buckets and you know nothing's left out, like you're sorting something and um, you're supposed to put like circles, squares and triangles or something, and you've gone your whole life just putting people into these buckets, never considering that they might not belong in it, and then you come up against a trapezoid and you're like, which one do you put that into, right? Like, you don't know. Um, And I think maybe in in a personal level, the struggle could be that we don't want to live in a world where we can't define everything and we can't put everything into buckets. So we're desperate for something, you know, feigning to be structure, even if it hurts us. Um, And when I say us, I mean, like, I'm imagining some fantasy world where I could build the world out the way I want to. And I could, you know, potentially create a structure where I'm on top, which, you know, doesn't seem like um, a stretch that anyone would want to do that. But that structure will never last because it's based on something that's not in reality. And it makes everyone feel comfortable that, oh, don't worry, you're all in buckets, you all have hierarchy, you know, you're at the back of the train or the front of the train, if you want a snowpiercer um, reference, and that's it, you don't have to think about it anymore. And I think that desire for that simplicity is part of the answer for where all this stems from.
1: I couldn't agree more. And like, the way I think about it, not in that, like, philosophy way but in the the kind of like physical sciences way is that it's believed that the world always tends to go towards entropy chaos right and as human beings we don't yeah like you said we don't like that uncomfortable feeling we don't like the unknown we don't like chaos so what do we do we try to create systems that push back that chaotic nature of what'll truly happen. And in a sense we're just delaying the inevitable. We're not necessarily putting a stop to it. We're not doing anything to mitigate it completely. It's just a slight delay. Because at the end of the day, the systems we put in place only survive because of how we survive eventually if you know the world can collapses completely a new system will come into play again to try to reorder everything and that's just because as humans we like being in control we we are technically the apex predator of the earth because we're the most advanced in a way and i put that in quotes because we're the ones who have the the developed the brain to think but you know people's actions and their things sometimes make me believe that that's not the case <laughs> <laughs> but but you know um going off of that I did want to kind of transition towards another topic that we have
0: we have a question so, well not I think I want to make one last comment which is I yeah. think going back to your example of once the, once the Third Reich had, had put up these systems and, and found the scapegoats and put them in concentration camps or they had fled, um, they didn't know what to now, where to put their hate now, right? And then they started looking at each other. And I think that again, goes back to that same thing of constantly needing to define the world in in that hierarchical sense and Mm -hmm. we'll never they'll it'll never be enough is what I'm trying to say go Mm -hmm. ahead what do you want to talk about next
1: yeah the the topic that I wanted to transition into is that like as humans do we believe that we really are better now than before because here in her in Wilkerson's book and I think just in general a lot of people like to think that we're much more advanced than how we were even let's say the 19 yeah the 1940s or like the the eighteen hundred, like the early 1900s a full century ago right a 100 years do we like I wanted to ask that question both for you and our viewers of this idea that I don't necessarily think we're better, but there was a point in time where I where I thought we were and I think it just comes with that idea of quote unquote growing up where as you grow up and you experience the world, you realize that the things that you were learning about in school, how societies were functioning before, how, you know, how decisions were being made before are still very relevant to us today in that we still do the same kind of things as a society. We, it's just that as children, we we'd like to think, especially in those puberty years, you know, where it's like, you know, people have gotten better because like we see there's a whole lot more progress going on, blah, blah, blah. But like it's also coming from a very controlled environment where we're children and we have our parents to kind of tell us what to do. We have the school system that kind of keeps us busy from, as, as if we were working from, I don't know, when your, when your school started, but my high school was an eight to three kind of deal. So, like, you know, you're, you're in a very closed off environment. But then once you step out into the real world, you start to notice that, like, people still do what they were doing a few years ago. They're not necessarily thinking any better they didn't learn from many mistakes that were happened before, you know, it's like, um, if if we look at like wartime, like, uh, things, there's always that idea of like Napoleon Bonaparte invading Russia and having the mistake of invading Russia and not having enough manpower to do it. And, you know, if we move forward in time, Adolf Hitler made the same mistake where, He invaded Russia, didn't have enough people, and then that made Russia kind of be able to push back on the Eastern front of World War II. So, you know, it's like, oh, yeah. It's easy to look at it when you're learning about that to be like, how stupid, you know? Like, didn't he read books to, like, just know intuitively that that's not the smart thing to do? But then here we are today where didn't we read enough about slavery and prejudice and like how we ostracize people based on an arbitrary kind of category. And yet we still do it to this day. And we like to ignore that fact and think that, you know, things are much better when they're not. I don't know. What what are your thoughts on this?
0: I think it's a really complicated question, (laughs) mainly because I can give multiple different answers to the same question. Like, let me see if I can do it like right now. Yeah. Um, Are we better now than before? If I were to say, yes, we are better now than before. I would talk about the democratization of information, the Internet, the ability for even take um, somebody like Monica Lewinsky who has been an anti-bullying advocate um, for a while now, and the way that she put it was, well, it is different now, it's actually better now because the victim or the, per- the, the person that's suffering can respond and can have you know, just as many followers or just as, just as much of a voice out there um, as the perpetrator. And that was not the case earlier than 20 years ago. You know, like that just wasn't possible the the media was controlled by a certain in, in a certain way, like you couldn't just say what you wanted to say. It would have to be on a platform and that platform would have to be uh, uh, approved and there would be advertising dollars like it's it's a whole thing. But now, like if I want to, I can send out whatever tweet I want about anything and I have the power. Now, there are obviously some dark sides of that and there are obviously some Uh, some problems with that also because the perpetrator now also has that uh, same power. Um, If I want to continue to say, yes, we are really better now than before, I think the the format of morality or the way in which we've constructed morality has fundamentally changed in the last century. It's no longer just about, notice I said just about religion or the Bible or the Quran or any... Um, specific set of rules we're supposed to follow that make us a quote unquote good person. Now it's like combine everything that everyone thinks that makes someone a good person and let's see if we can learn from each other Um, because now we're a global society. There are no real things like borders that really hold us in if we don't want to be held that way. So that's how I would say yes. If I wanna say no, and I would say no in the sense we're the same as we were before, I would say something like climate change or single use plastics, which we probably all have the um, consumer capacity to resist that we don't. And it doesn't seem like even if corporations are polluting and of course I believe corporations are polluting, they're the ones that are causing you know, 90% of what's happening. It still comes down to our willing participation in those systems, and this includes the caste system or the or the system of beauty standards, whatever you wanna call it, we're still feeding into the same hierarchies, we're still perpetuating those hierarchies and we still continue to exist in them. And then my third answer would be, it's gotten worse. If I wanna do that, I could make a case for that too and say that, well, the despite having access to this trove of moral, uh, you know, Moral arguments and and how people have been treating each other and have have history like videos that show horrible things we've done to each other that we've somehow been okay with repeating. So if we haven't learned from the mistake, are not we worse off. So there you go Cleveland. Those are three answers to your question, all of which I think can be true at the same time. However, I will endeavor to be an optimist and say that I think we can be capable of better but i don't think that's going to look the way that you know we thought it would look
1: thank you for the response and no truthfully the reason i'm glad that you addressed that you know there are multiple ways to look at this because quite frankly i don't think there was a very apparent black or white answer to this no like yeah, you provided a lot of good examples. Another great example that I can always provide is that, like, is we are always just outliving people consistently. Like our, ans- like, our ancestors were constantly outliving them, you know? There's also, like, negatives in health that uh, started popping up more recently just because of the, like, environmental, like, stress that we put our planet through. But, yeah, no, at the end of the day, I truthfully believe that you know this question isn't necessarily supposed to have a correct answer or one answer it's supposed to be open for discussion and I ask it because I think that's always something that we ourselves should be striving to try to have an influence over in that as you know if we have viewers that are high school young adults similar like in our age of like their early mid-20s kind of deal as like you step yourself out into the world continuously ask yourself are we better now than before and what can i do to try to perpetuate a more positive way of having an answer to this making it be a yes because to me like if we're just trying to stay consistent then we're not gonna evolve anymore. We are gonna be okay with the standard and the standard truthfully just isn't okay. Sometimes, you know, like there's a lot of societal things that I'm not okay with. And then obviously if you're the type of person that's like, no, I want to make humanity worse. Then like, that's a whole separate kind of like can of worms there about like, why would you want to do that? (laughs) But okay, you wanna, you wanna add something to this?
0: I think that your question itself presents a very interesting like lens because if the question is, are we really better? I think there's more wisdom in the asking of the question than what the answer is. So I appreciate that because the fact that we're asking ourselves, are we really better than before to me is very humbling. Because if somebody asks me, like, are you really better than you know a woman from a hundred years ago or um, a queer person from a hundred years ago, I'd be like, I don't, I don't think I can answer that question. Not even can I. I can provide multiple answers, which is what I did five minutes ago. But I don't think I really would answer that question because the the point of the question is not to find an answer. The point of the question is, you know, sit down and listen more, maybe, because that would be something. There would be something that you could learn there that maybe provides you context and and finds those, I mean, we say this at the beginning of every episode, right? Like, and it's the name of our podcast is here's the thread. And I think I'm looking for the threads more than I am looking for real solutions because I think the thread is part of the solution. Um, and if we can recognize that the question, are we better now than before is intended to make you think about that I'm far more interested in the premise of the question than I am about the answer.
1: And I, I couldn't agree with you more on what you just said there. And, you know, um, I believe you and I can both have hours of conversation on this.
0: Probably, um, but maybe we can get more specific about it. maybe that's where we can have like a more robust discussion. Not that this isn't robust, but like, we're both Asian Americans, even though that's a massive umbrella to be putting both of us in. We're both Asian Americans. Um, well, I'm not an American yet. I'm a permanent resident. Um, where do you think our prejudices align within the context of this book and the examples that she points out? Because we definitely have them.
1: Oh yeah, no, like a uh, great transition. And um, I did just want to provide like, a little bit of context to our viewers as to why I asked that big question prior about how are we better and that's just because Wilkerson in this book likes to provide multiple examples and it's always crazy to see that she's able to pull examples from 1800s to the 19 to the 1900s to modern day and yeah like you said there is a thread that connects them and that to me like was begging for this kind of question to come about because the fact that you can thread something that's 200 years apart, like, is pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. But going back to this now, uh, question of like where do our prejudices align? Um, you know, I think, I think the way that many people form their prejudices just in general come from a mode of survival because they're not necessarily the ones in control. And I say that as someone who, you know, like necessity wise, I'm, I'm Filipino and I, it, 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 it's, Crazy to me, you know, like in terms of like Asian, especially when I first came to the United States in two thousand six. Yeah, two thousand six, I believe, around there. First came to the phil to the Philippines to to the United States, and when you know, I would say I'm Asian. That Filipino wasn't necessarily in the conversation there. The. Your, your top three answers are always, I think, will always be Chinese, Japanese, and Korean. Those are, like, the top three the most people will associate that blanket Asian. And as I grew up, I noticed, you know, like, there's multiple views that, like, people from the continent of Asia hold very similarly. A lot of familial views, a lot of, like, cultural views a lot of of course racial views but then i've also from my own personal journey come to kind of notice that like it's very wrong to be you know not i'm not gonna sugarcoat it. a lot of asians tend to think very lowly of black people that is a very common belief and as someone who was even at a young age very fascinated by like hip-hop and rap it was hard for me to be like you know how can people say or think very lowly of you know black people when they also like to integrate this very like important part of uh black culture into their own kind of personal lives like hip-hop and like rap have grown in popularity. I believe it's taken over rock and roll at this point. So like it it's interesting where I was like, you know, you can't really or you shouldn't be viewing them that way, especially if you're trying to enjoy parts of their culture and that's where like the idea of like cultural appropriation started coming from, things like that. And it always begged me to kind of question about like where yeah where where do our prejudices align as asian americans is it because we were just trying to survive and because these are the prejudices that have been passed on from upper castes mainly like caucasian people either from colonizing asia coming to asia or as immigrants being trying to integrate into a society that has caucasians at the very top like are we in that kind of mode or the other part of this that I always found funny is that, like, many Asian people also tend to believe they're way better than white people. That is a very common thing, too. They just don't say it. But, you know, a lot of them like to say, it's like, no, we work harder. We're smarter. We just let them have, like, the face kind of deal, you know. We, we do everything. With it. But then at that point, it's like, oh, why be that way? Like, it, it is that. Is that correct too, where you're kind of like minimizing your efforts to say like no, we we can we can be better than them if we wanted to kind of deal, right? Is that is that lazy scholar kind of thing? <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, I can be much better. I just need to try more. <laughs> but
0: I think I think your answer is it has lots of parts to it, all of which I think are pretty illuminating. So if we're talking about Asian American prejudices. I think across the board, both of the things that you said are definitely significant trends, I think, within the Asian American community. It's not a blanket statement, but the trend tends to be um, prejudice against Black people and we're better than white people. Like that, that's, I think that's a a generalization that I could potentially defend. Um, But I think coming back to the principle behind the prejudice. I would have to say essentially, I think I would say two things. One, I think it starts from like which part of Asian American we're talking about. Cause I always designate um, this in, in, in two ways. The first is the that I do think there's two very distinct um, ends of the Asian American gradient when it comes to socioeconomic mobility and privilege there are typically, and she talks about this in the book too, she talks about how a lot of Indian immigrants to the United States tend to be from the upper caste. Um, she talks about, um, like, the, she talks about prejudice against Asian Americans generally, but I think there is a nuance there. There's Chinese immigrants, there's Indian immigrants, those, uh, you know, Japanese immigrants that tend to be um in stem jobs and tend to have very high median incomes and and have own a lot of property in places like the bay area new jersey georgia and then on the other end there are um there are immigrants that tend to have lower median incomes and are not talked about within the diaspora of being asian-american so filipino immigrants pakistani immigrants um and the That distinction, I think we have to put that in the frame of the question of as Asian-Americans, where do our prejudices begin? Because the struggle for any given Asian-American is not the same across the board, absolutely not. And I don't think I knew this when I came here for the first time. Um, And I don't think I recognized not only the privilege I had, but the disparity in the privilege across the board um, within the Asian-American community. So that's the first framing I provide. The second, I think the privilege begins with the topic of immigration itself. The Civil Rights Act and the anti-slavery movements in this country are the reason why you and I are here. Like The opportunity was created by people that look nothing like us and by people with a past that's nothing like ours. And the, the benefit that we got and I think Hasan Minaj talked about it on his show, um, the benefit comes from that. And we have to recognize that in the thread of this conversation because our prejudices align because we chose to align with that. And I think we make an active choice every day to do so we, while forgetting that we're only here because of the civil rights movements. And I think ultimately, The more we buy into it, the more we have to accept that we're benefiting from it, and we have to accept that that comes from the fact that we, through some series of events, have been able to be closer to the the higher rungs of the hierarchy than otherwise, which is not true for all Asian Americans, but is definitely a trend.
1: yeah like I, I don't know what more to add to that that's why <laughs> I'm kind of blanking out here because no I, it's a really good point that you make there you know and um, it just, just that disparity alone like you know like you said like you weren't totally aware of it as you immigrated here mm-hmm. and I myself wasn't truly aware of like the disparity within like different Asian communities, because I was part of that belief that, like, you know, Asians were very, like, Asian Americans specifically were typically much more well-off than, like, other people of color, and it wasn't until I took an Asian American studies course at uh, Davis, where I learned about the other communities that exist within the Asian community that are wrapped up in the same kind of, like, gang cultures that, like, other, like, communities of people of color are enwrapped in and it's literally just because they needed some form of community and that was their way of like creating community and learning about that and then also like the different kind of economic statuses um I think like another one that they talk about were the Hmong people up here in uh, Sacramento and like that community and how underserved they are and I was like man like it's crazy to hear that, especially when, you know, like you said, like, if we look at it, like, I, be- I, it, I believe it tends to be that, like, most Asian immigrants here come off from a background in their native countries in a much, like, better place. Like, they weren't necessarily the poor people of their country. They had some form of money to be able to immigrate here, you know? or at least like they provided some form of like labor that helped them get here more. And yeah, like once that happens, like the kind of communities, especially like for for me that I was growing up in, I'd be surrounded by people who were in that same kind of background. So in my case, a lot of Filipino nurses and, you know, nursing isn't a measly paying job it's a pretty lucrative job that's why hence a lot of people always try to advise their their children and like the Filipino community be a nurse <laughs> but um you know when you grow up in that kind of closed off environment you tend to think that like this is the norm this is kind of the case and everything and i think that also does perpetuate towards this kind of like prejudice thinking because that's also when the beliefs of like we are better than others can come from because when you're in that closed off community, people are quote unquote, working in the same kind of like discipline with the same amount of capacity. You guys are making equally or close to the same wage. Then you start to think that like, why can't other people be here? It's easy to discount all of the other reasons why, other people just don't have the opportunity to be there, you know? And yeah, yeah, with that being said, I believe that does play a huge role also in like where these prejudices can start to come from, form. And it becomes a very dangerous game at that point because when you're more well-off than others, it's easy to just get wrapped up in that world and be associated with a lot of more well-off people. And then eventually, like that's all your view is of the world. It's like, why can't you just work harder? Why can't you just be smarter?
0: <laughs> yeah, I think I think the 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 best part of the thing that you just said is it's very easy to discount it when your luck seems to always be turning in your favor. Um, and I think that's another thing that she underpins um, in her work too. Um, yeah, I. I do think though the, the central part of this section of the book to me was the, the sort of last couple of chapters where she goes through example after example. Um, one of them is the viral video from a few years ago about the, the Dallas courtroom where the brother of a black man um, hugs you know, this white person who has just been sentenced um, and it was, and it went viral because it, you know, it's like, oh, look at all this compassion, this display of like human kindness. And then um, that—that's one example. Another example is uh, Devonte Hart, a young boy that that um, you know would stand there and ask for hugs from you know even people like police officers, a, a young black boy, um, and the and the crazy backstory behind that, where he was essentially being used by. Um, by his adoptive not I don't even know if it was adoptive or foster parents um, and that has a tragic ending and then the white woman that accuses a nine-year-old boy of sexual assault like these are she goes out and these are many many different examples that she goes through and I love the ending of that part because she at the end she um, there's a quote from uh, from one of the I think a essayist and author Roxane Gay says what white people are really asking for when they demand forgiveness from a traumatized community is absolution. They want absolution from the racism that infects us all, even though forgiveness cannot reconcile America's racist sins. Um, And I'd I'd love to like sort of just talk about that for a little bit before closing out our episode today, because I think that the the idea that the request is always well why can't you just get over it why can't you just like forgive people and move on is why is that the response as opposed to well we have systemic problems that contributed to a deep deep inequity and um perpetuate horrors in this community why don't i fix that no it's never that it's always we'll just let's just move on you know like the fox news rhetoric of you know his body's not even cold and we're rioting like the ridiculous
1: um. yeah, on this topic, I think it also goes back to that idea of, like, comfort that we've talked about. And it's because, yeah, it... By showing the quote-unquote forgiveness of these people, it's like... It provides comfort, especially to the upper caste people. Mm-hmm. Whoever that may be. In, in the case of the United States, the majority of Caucasian people live here. Mm-hmm. They don't want to feel vilified they want to feel like they're the hero so seeing like people of color kind of like forgive them kind of deal is a big thing like it's huge right and it's it's pretty crazy to to know that that's not necessarily the case if roles are always reversed you know we will always see the like if the roles were reversed, there's harsher punishments that are brought on to people of color. Um, There's, there's a viral news story that I'm seeing right now for a change.org petition for a believe is a Hispanic truck driver that ended up um, on a huge accident, I believe, on one of like the major interstates of the United States. I don't know too much about the story, I just saw this today but I think it's very relevant to this because he's being sentenced to I believe 117 years in prison or something like basically a life sentence for Did
0: anyone do you know if anyone died in the accident I believe
1: people died okay the thing is you know it is an accident you
0: know right it's involuntary manslaughter
1: yeah, yeah. and because of that let let like I'm just I'm talking about this just from whatever basic information I'm gathering from people or like from what I've seen people posting. And so I, that just made me question like what would have happened if this was a white truck driver as opposed to a Hispanic truck driver? Would they be under the same kind of scrutiny of like you killed this many people, you deserve this much jail time kind of deal. And the other thing, too is, um we can also always talk about school shootings, you know, and the more recent one that's making national headlines with the Michigan School shooting
0: mm-hmm.
1: that you know a a child perpetrated this action willingly like shooting people no with intent to harm people, but it's also crazy to see how much the story shifts now it shifted towards like his parents and a lot of the focus has gone into like his parents now, like during the whole thing, which to me, I'm like, I'm, I'm not saying like, you know, one is better than the other, but I believe like both things are equally relevant to ju- to like place judgment on like people's fate, like in the situation as well. But also, Again, I believe there should be the actual just talk of gun reform because of this, like with the amount of news coverage about it and everything, you know, like it's, it's like, no, they should be talking about gun reform and like the fact that again, here we are with a minor getting possession of firearm that was purchased by an adult, like that there should be much more restrictions on that but we're not talking about that right because we don't want to vilify something that is like oh it's associated towards like you know the dominant caste the dominant caste loves their quote-unquote what is the second amendment freedoms of right to bear arms (laughs) why (laughs) but um (laughs)
0: you're so exasperated
1: why <laughs> well, why well, what are we protecting ourselves from here? yeah
0: who are we protecting i mean i i think again you've hit you've hit the nail on the head with the with this whole thing of like why are we not talking about the stuff that would make systemic change why are we not talking about the thread if yeah. you will? um i pulled up the the specific case of the truck driver so he was sentenced uh, to 110 years in prison Um, and the petition, the change.org petition is um, to reduce that sentence. So, and the facts of the actual uh, event is that it was 23 charges, including six six counts of assault in the first degree, extreme indifference, 10 counts of attempt to commit assault in the first degree, and then vehicular assaults, and then four counts of Sorry one count of reckless driving and four counts of careless driving causing death. So when four people died um, in in the actual incident and the the defendant, I believe, said that um, they were driving a semi truck trailer, but the brakes failed. Um, so, and we're not talking about, you know, the specifics of this case exactly but we're I, and I think she poses that question multiple times. Like there was apparently a, a situation on a plane once where a white man slapped a, like an infant in the face because the infant was crying because of an altitude change. You know, like the thing that's synonymous with flying is babies crying, like babies cry. That's what they do. That's what they are known for is crying. Um, and the idea that that would have been tolerated if, if, if the um, ethnicities were reversed. And I think maybe that's like a great note to 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 close out on Cleveland because I think that's the part that doesn't seem to make sense to us at least, which is we're all, they're always asking for absolution, but never ever is the conversation about the trend itself that's requiring you to ask for abs- absolution. Mm-hmm. Any last thoughts?
1: No, I think you put a really good like kind of a nightcap to that uh to this kind of a uh, situation this topic
0: awesome well I think we had a really great conversation today felt um felt very productive and I think I learned something from it <laughs> um, all right thanks everyone for listening to this week's episode of here's the thread my name is Ola Jolly
1: and my name is Cleveland Deleuze.
0: And we'll be back next time with part six of Cast by Isabel Wilkerson. I feel like it'll be 2050 by the time we're done with this. Um, As well as our thoughts on whatever terrible or wonderful things human beings decide to do to each other. Stay safe, eat more vegetables, and vote in your local elections. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Here's the Thread. And follow us on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on.
1: Thanks. Bye. Bye,
0: everyone. (music) Oh, <music>